Welcome back to the Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today, we've got Tyler Trout. Tyler is the co-founder and CEO of DebtBook. As many of you know, DebtBook is a very fast-growing fintech startup here in town, started by Tyler back in 2019, continues to grow, has more than 85 full-time employees as the point of time of this taping back in December of 2022, and still rapidly hiring. So today's podcast is really about having Tyler talk through how he's done it from, you know, early, um, early onboarding of new clients, um, building out the number of employees and creating the, the infrastructure to, to, to grow rapidly since they've done it quickly and very effectively thought that'd be a really good way for us to, to hold down this podcast. And not surprisingly, Tyler did a fantastic job. So Really excited to release this one out to you today. Enjoy the podcast and enjoy Tyler's story about how Debt Book was born and continues to grow. Tyler, welcome to the podcast. Really excited to have you and spend the next 50 plus minutes with you this afternoon. Thanks for having me. So, absolutely. Um, so, uh, you know this, um, we always get started off with a little softball question. Softball question is give us a little 30, 60, 90 second commercial on who Tyler is, what's your background? So, started my career at Citigroup in New York as an analyst in public finance investment banking. Public finance is the municipal securities industry. So think about all of the public sector organizations that are out there. Think about cities or in the city of Charlotte. We're also in Mecklenburg County. Think about hospitals. We've got Novant. Think about colleges and universities. University of North Carolina, Charlotte's here. Think about senior care facilities. If you're out by South Park, there's a Sharon Tower senior care facility out there. Big renovation happening, expansion. All these types of organizations, they are building things. They need capital to grow their businesses and deliver their services into their communities. And they borrow money to do it. That's the municipal securities industry. It's all of the professionals that help them go and deliver those services, help them go and fund those projects. So I started my career as an analyst, really pretty typical Excel spreadsheet, run a bunch of numbers for somebody else, help my senior banker work with those clients to structure their loans, to structure their uh, fixed income securities financings. A lot of financial planning and analysis work, ratio analysis, projecting outcome statements and balance sheets. After about a little bit less than two years, went to work. I've worked at two different organizations as a financial consultant, helping the CFO's team, the treasury team, whoever was responsible for borrowing all that money to fund those projects. I was working with them as a consultant to help them understand how to best structure those financings. So did that work as a consultant for about eight years before starting DebtBook with my co-founder, Eric. 
that was about a little bit over three years ago, something like that now. Gotcha. Whenever I ask that question about the commercial, the 30, 60, 90 second commercial, I always think back to Goonies. Um, you know, when um, they ask him, you know, um, tell me who you are. And he goes back to third grade and he tells the third grade story and he goes on. So um, I'm glad nobody ever takes me back to third grade when I ask that question. Um, where'd you meet your co-founder? I can do that. If, you, if you'd like me to, if you'd like me to, I can go all the way back. Um, um, was it, what was that kid's yeah. name? Was it Chunk? Is that right? I'm not even, I'm not even sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, so my, my co-founder, Eric Pelletier, it, it's a really um, fortunate meeting. When I was looking for a partner to help collaborate on the application that we were designing really early on, I had met a, a number of different organizations here in Charlotte and one of them ended up not being a great fit for us, but we uh, had enjoyed meeting their team and their founders. They, uh, upon hearing us tell them that we were not going to get to work together, unfortunately, I'm sure they got one look at me and were like, no chance you're going to be able to do this by yourself. You really need some help here. You should meet, you should meet my my buddy, Eric Pelletier. And Eric had been in Charlotte only for, I think, two years, maybe a year or two. And his background is a computer science guy, ran a digital marketing agency in Boston for about five years or so, had run product. He was also the chief digital officer at MIT, really experienced, really talented, phenomenal manager. Um, met him. Uh, off of that referral, that connection. And we met at Coco and the director uptown. Uh, if that's still there, I'm sure it is. Um, he's Eric with a K. I'm also Eric with a K. Um, we started chatting and just started talking about what kind of opportunity there was and how important the work that the target customers we're doing every single day. And I think he had a lot of interest in, in what we were doing. I think saw it immediately. And we just started collaborating. And by collaborating, I literally mean sketching out the application on a sketch pad, pencil, drawing it out, what it could do. And immediately we just became great collaborators. It was obvious to me immediately that I, I needed him. Like I really had no chance of being successful without Eric. And um yeah, so really fortunate to get connected to him and and then finally convinced him to be my co-founder. I mean, I was selling. So I hired him as a consultant to start working with me. He had left MIT, was doing consulting for some organizations here in Charlotte. I hired him. I bought 60 hours of his time. I paid him right away. Like he sent me an invoice. And I like clicked the button and paid it immediately. Um, and I drug him down to probably our one of our most important investor presentations when we were trying to raise our first first round. We can talk about that. It went really well. And on the drive back from it, I asked him, asked him to quit his job, quit what he was doing and join me as a co-founder. And he said yes, subject to, you know, um, subject to uh, a few things getting worked out. But that's how I I met him. And I'm I couldn't imagine not having Eric in my life, uh personally, professionally. I just I feel like he's been there the whole time. It's kind of wild. That's awesome. No, co-founders are a good thing to have around for sure. Um, somebody to lean on. So talk a little bit about the business before Eric came along, right? So you're doing 
um, you're doing spreadsheet development and everything on your own. Um, you've got an idea. You don't know whether or not it, um, it'll work. You probably at that point in time, don't even really know how to get it off the ground. Go back to, um, kind of the, the light bulb moment and how it kind of ran along to that point in time. Right. Yeah. So Eric was it a light really, bulb or was it a lightning bolt? Which one was it? Right. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. It was, uh, it was absolutely a light and maybe it was like coming on slowly. Like the power was like coming on and it was flickering and then it got brighter and brighter and brighter. Um, I had about 10 years of experience working with these clients directly. And when you read about entrepreneurs, you'll read a lot about company first companies and problem first companies. And we are, we're the problem first company. We spent 10 years in the space working with these folks. There are a lot of different problems. The question really is just, what do you, what do you solve? Fundamentally, I really felt like, the work that was being done by our clients and the work that was being done with their uh, professional network around them was really important work. I mean, we're talking about folks trying to figure out how they can best for, afford uh, a hospital expansion, a, a new school, afford a, a, an incentive package to, to, to increase economic development in a, you know, a part of town that really could use it. We're talking about senior care. We're talking about water. We're talking about um, affordable housing. We're talking about public safety. I mean, these are things that we all fundamentally need, right? You, you probably take it for granted a little bit. Um, when you walk around and drive around town, you assume those things are there. Um, but there's a lot of work that goes into providing all of those things. And my little piece of it was helping finance functions pay for it, um, structure loans appropriately, make sure that their uh, their credit score, their credit rating is maintained or presented in the best possible light, helping them figure out how can we how can we go and get this important project done, but but do it in a manner that allows us to continue to operate our business appropriately, remain financially solvent. I felt like the problem was so real and, and I worked in spreadsheets all day long and, and I considered myself an expert in building these spreadsheets and sharing them. And, um, and it was hard for me. Uh, it was really hard for me to do that spreadsheet work, right? Complex, a lot of information. I mean, imagine that you and your family had 20 different loans and, and imagine that you and your family not only had 20 different loans, but you had three different businesses and for every single loan you had, you'd cut it up into pieces and allocate some to each of those businesses. And you'd probably have to hire an accountant to help you do all the accounting. Now your family is using QuickBooks and you're trying to create all the journal entries and allocate everything correctly. And then rates come down and you're refinancing, but you're only taking out certain loans to certain banks and the different loans that you have, have different disclosure information. This bank, Truist wants me to provide this kind of financial information to them every year. But gosh, this bank over here every quarter wants me to give them a different thing. And now it becomes a huge pain in the butt. Um, that plus the fact that it wasn't their problem alone. 
accountants are working with these folks, lawyers are working with these folks, banks, investment banks, financial consultants, there are specialty consultants doing work with these folks. And everybody needs this information to do their job. I mean, everyone's got like an old version of the spreadsheet, their version of the spreadsheet. Like to tell you, the only thing we know for certain is that they don't all match. It just seemed to make a lot of sense. And um, I will say that when we started, it was really, it was tough. Um, you know, my, my wife was pregnant with our first kid. I had a great job. Um, I had no need to do any of these things. I, I loved my life. I loved the work that I was doing. And I wasn't hundred percent sure. I mean, you, you can't be, I mean, there's, there's always doubt there. And, but I fundamentally felt like I would learn a tremendous amount. I mean, I really felt like I could go spend a bunch of my savings to get an MBA to learn, uh, or, you know, I can go and pursue pursue something like this. I knew that I would learn a tremendous amount. I felt like the problem was there and I definitely didn't have it right out of the gate, but I felt like it would be a great experience. And if we were right, we'd have a lot of upside as an organization. And if we could deliver better software to these organizations and they could therefore deliver more or better, even if it's like some small increment, but better services to their communities. When you think about the kind of services that we're talking about here, like, holy cow, like that's impactful. And nobody's going to know that death book had anything to do. And we have a tiny little piece to play, but if we can make it easier for those organizations to collaborate, to make great decisions faster, analyze more scenarios, they're going to make better choices. And more of these things will happen um, or they'll happen faster, or they'll happen at lower cost, whatever it might be, and we could really impact everybody uh, in a small in a small way. To be really fair, so I kind of just went for it. Um, you know, I just kind of felt like I felt compelled to do it. My wife Holly was amazing. She could have crushed my dreams immediately, um, and it wouldn't have been hard, Tyler. We are pregnant with our first child. Uh, you've got a great job. You are a crazy person. Um, what are you doing? Um, no, we're absolutely not doing this. And I would have, you know, probably said it feels yep. like the mature thing to do, like be an adult, um, be, a, be a good husband and a good father and support your family. And but she let me do it. So we just, we jumped and met Eric, to be honest, like, almost immediately. I mean, I, it was a, like first order of business was how in the world are we going to make something? Um, well, I don't know anything about, uh, I don't know anything about building software. I got to have somebody to, to really run that found Eric and started working with Eric right away. Talk a little bit. Um, talk a little bit about your first sales. Um, like you, you didn't actually, if I remember correctly, you didn't have the product yet. Right. I mean, you were, you were closing deals on a PowerPoint or the back of a napkin. Is that right? <laughs> and I don't want to undersell what you're doing by any stretch, but you know where I'm going with it. No, absolutely. Um, it, it never felt weird to us to do it this way. Um, when we started the company, I, I put some of my own money in, our family put some of our own money in and 
we built, we basically designed some of the key pages uh, of the application. So like V1 was uh, written down on a, uh, a piece of paper, sketch pad, like pencil and paper. That was V1 of the application. Then we got into a spreadsheet, a lot of math in what we're doing. So I had experience in this space, wrote all the formulas, could format the spreadsheets, get those right. Okay, V3, we need to have we need to have some design to present to folks. And so we, um, we spent our own personal money and we designed probably like 15, 15 to 20 pages of the application, very basic functionality. If you looked at it today, you'd be like, holy cow, like, what is that? Uh, what does it even do? Um, and I went and started meeting with folks um, and started collaborating with them. And, and I really didn't go into those meetings saying, give me money. Uh, look at this thing. We weren't faking it to try and make it. We, yeah. we were in there being really honest with our customers. We believe this is the problem. We believe if we solve this problem, your life will be better. We believe that you can work more efficiently and that we can enable your entire team and we can enable all the people that you collaborate with to do a better job. And if we did that, we feel like it's really valuable. Agree or disagree. And most of them said, yeah, sure. You know, let's see what you got. And we then walked through the designs. We said, this is what we want to create. What do you think? And we got a lot of great feedback. And they said, how much does it cost? And I said, how much you got? Uh, what do you think? I, I don't know. Um, and this is like absolutely something we should have been better about. And price is a conversation that entrepreneurs, especially I think first-time entrepreneurs probably struggled with a lot, um, or at least I did, we did. We, we asked them how much they thought they would be willing to pay for that solution if we built it. And a lot of people are like, how about 2,000 bucks a year? How about 3,000 bucks? How about 5,000 bucks a year? One time we went to a meeting and we we're like, how much? And they were like $30,000 a year. And we were like, oh my goodness. Um, Holy cow. Can you believe that they just said that? Um, it was, it was really awesome. It was so cool. And we were upfront and honest with them. And we said, we think we're going to launch this thing in six to seven months or so, but we need to go raise money and we want your commitment. We want to build this with you. We believe that our industry lacks the appropriate tools that are needed to enable folks like yourself to be really successful. We can't do it without you. If you want better tools, you have to support companies like ours. That's the deal, right? And if you sign contracts with us and you give us money, we'll go take that. We'll go get more money and we'll build better tools. And around and around and around, we can go together. And a lot of them said, yes, we had, I don't know the exact number. I think it was like 15 to 20 contracts signed before we had the product um, live. Um, and we used those contracts to, to go and race. Um, and it really, really helped us smooth out our product and figure it out. I mean, I've given a presentation before um, to a really large organization using, um, at one point, this is kind of like, I think we had like some of the app in a staging environment. So not live yet, but testing. We had some of the app in these early designs. And then we had some of it in a separate mock-up that Eric had done to demonstrate a different feature. So I was going back and forth between three different things 
showing them how the thing was going to work like live in person. And, and it worked like it absolutely worked. People understood that we were building for them, collaborating with them, passionate about what we were doing. And they wanted to be a part of it because they could see that our organization was going to deliver tremendous value for them. And if they wanted those kinds of tools, which everybody does, they need to support companies like ours. So we, we just went right for it, like right out of the gate, collecting as much feedback as we possibly could, iterating rapidly on a product with our clients. Like as soon as we had designed, we were talking to people that knew what they were talking about, getting their feedback, tweaking it, improving it. Where'd you get the confidence from um, to do that, right? Is that, is that something that just grew as you started talking to people? You just knew that you knew that it would go that direction, Tyler, or did you have that as a kid growing up? Right. Um, where did that, cause that's, that's a very ballsy move to jump in between three different applications in a sales process. Right. Um, so, uh, uh, did you, did you grow into that, um, as you were building out the company or did you grow into it as a kid or do you not know? <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I, I think, I think, one of the best things about starting a company is how much you learn about yourself, how much you grow and develop personally. It, it is, at least from my perspective, which is limited, but the, the best experience you can have. If you want to learn, go, st go start a company and, and try and build software, recruit people, develop them, try and sell it, try and implement it, try and support it, try and renew it. I mean, it's so hard. Um, and I think that today I have a tremendous amount of confidence because of the experience that I've had over the last three and a half years. I think I just see the world in a different way. I've encountered so many problems and you just really start to kind of understand how people work and organizations work and, and what really matters. Um, I, I have always been really competitive. Um, never particularly good, but like really competitive. I, I played a lot of tennis growing up and, you know, I was the kid that this is embarrassing. This is just true. I was the kid that was smashing rackets when they missed a shot. Um, my dad has, I don't think he's ever like pulled me off the court, but like have been threatened so many times. He come down to the fence and be like, if you, if you don't get it together, I'm going to literally rip you off this court right now. Cause I just had a bad attitude. I hated losing. Um, it just kills me to my core. Um, and so I've always been really competitive, but not particularly good at anything was really bad at school. Um, never made good grades. Didn't never cared, uh, honestly. Um, but I don't know. I've always gone for it. I think maybe like I just, one of the things that I've learned about myself is that I think I, I see all upside in most opportunities that I, that I look at. It's hard for me to see the downside. I immediately go to the upside and I'm like, that's, that's going to be amazing. We're going to go do that. It's going to be awesome. And I believe that we can do it. And I believe if something goes wrong, like it's not permanent, we can fix it. And, you know, let's just go forth and try and learn. Um, and I think that, but, but I don't want, I don't want to misrepresent this. When I was starting, I remember being at Legion in South Park, crying to a friend because I was 
so uh, uncertain about what I was doing to my family. I mean, I, I was like, am I the most selfish person? Am I an idiot? Like, why am I doing this? Um, and I remember breaking down and, and cry, cry. I'm going to cry right now. Like, I remember breaking down and crying, being like, am I harming my family because I am so dumb or arrogant or like, what is it? Um, and I just had enough guts, I think, to like go over the edge and get into it. And I think once you go over the edge and you quit your job and you're in it full time, you are just so focused on getting better every single day. And that's just really what happened. Once I got over the edge, there was no going back. And now it was, are you going to survive? Are you going to be able to do it? And I was immediately obsessed. I mean, worked every day on it, worked late at night on it, dreamt about it. I mean, I would, this is still true, go on walks with my wife and then our newborn. And I'd be daydreaming about a meeting that I just had. And she would catch me because my arms would be moving around. And she's like, what are you? hello, like, where are you right now? So, you know, I'm being long-winded on this point. It's a simple question. Um, I think I've always been really competitive. I've always believed in myself. I've never been particularly like really good at things. And I, I will say now that, now that we've done it, my confidence, absolutely. I have, I have, I'm confident. Um, and, um, and I'm still really competitive. And, um, and, but, but I attribute most of that to the experiences that I've had over the last three and a half years or so. Yeah. Does that make sense? I'm sorry. That was so long winded. Oh no. I mean, it's a fantastic answer. So, um, uh, long winded answers are good answers because they, they get well, into I'll the, keep coming. <laughs> I'll keep coming. <laughs> that's good. We still got some time. We're all right. Um, so fundraising is a natural um, process of a startup, right? So, or I guess a natural process of most startups. Um, you've raised money on a couple of different occasions. What's the experience? What's the experience been like for you, right? How have how have you um, have you gone through that process? Have you identified how much capital you needed or would accept in a particular round and? We always, I mean, you'll see presentations all the time with startups, right? We're going to use the dollars for X, Y, and Z, and they do it by building out these fancy spreadsheets. And um, yeah. I've built out plenty of fancy spreadsheets, my right, my life, and they're all wrong. Um, so, how do you go? How, how have y'all tackled that fundraising, capital raising project? So we were both first-time founders, hadn't raised money before. I had a lot of experience presenting in my prior job, being in, in banking, you know, I, I could build those fancy spreadsheets and I'd been up in front of a group of, you know, 10, 20 plus people presenting. So I had experience doing that, which I think has always really helped me. Um, we, we drafted our first investor deck together. Uh, we, we, we were, I remember being in um, the Duncan on Kings over by um, Mama Ricotta's, if you know where that is, yeah, um, yeah, like working about. on it one time. Like why were there exactly? Don't don't ask me. But I remember being there working on it with Derek. A standard deck, right? Who we are, our team, the problem that we're trying to solve, what we're trying to create, how big we think it could be, and we were just you know talking to a couple of investors about what they thought, some Google research, pulling some stuff down. Um, 
we raised we raised six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That was our seed round. We did not do some like ridiculous analysis to come up with that number. We were kind of like, how much, how much, how much are we going to spend? How many people are we going to hire? How long do we want the money to last? We were never the, we were never the give us $5 million so I can survive for three years uh, group. It's not how we approached fundraising. We wanted to take just enough to give us a little bit of time to progress. So we, we just did some very basic math. And we tried to figure out how much we were going to spend to get the application live and then have four to six months after that. If we got the application live and had four to six months and nobody wanted it, we would have been probably over for us, right? But we were okay with that. I didn't want to go and take $5 million of investor money and lose $5 million. If this was going to go south, like my family put some of our own money into it. We lost $650,000 of investor money. I don't feel good about that, but at least it wasn't $5 million. Um, and so we just took a little bit. And we also knew that if we could take that little bit and like, what is our valuation, right? I mean, we were just like sub $4 million valuation. Um, like, you know, just based on other organizations like ours, really, we had really not much revenue to speak of. Um, we took that money and we used it to get the product live and get some customer feedback. And then we took that customer feedback and we went back to those investors and said, look, like, listen to the clients. We recorded conversations, we were recording all of our Zooms for feedback. And we went, we went back to our investors and we said, watch this demo, listen to this. And the customer on the other end was talking about how great it was and how cool it was. Um, and we use that to raise again. So we, we did not have like some ridiculous like model, very basic math. I actually remember being in an investor meeting and they're like, Hey, by the way, like you should have some like sources and uses in here somewhere where like, that's a great idea. Like we'll tell you how we're going to spend the money for sure. Next time we showed up, we put it in there. We were just always really open and honest. This is what we're doing. This is the amount of work that we put into this number. This is how long we think it lasts. Not perfect. We're uncertain, obviously, but for sure, we believe that if we raise this money, we can build it, we can launch it, and then we can support it. We can implement people, we can collect customer feedback, and we can then come back to you later and say, does this, does this business deserve to live? What do you think? And if it does, give us some more money. That's exactly how we did it. And then it just snowballed from there. It became easier each time. Yeah, we, um, that's right. Every single time we raised, we were raising uh, because we we were getting great feedback, we wanted to go a little faster. We wanted to hire some sales folks. We wanted to 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 build the product a little bit faster, whatever it might be. Now we have real customers. We need to build a client success function. We need to implement. Someone needs to be doing support. Someone needs to be thinking about renewals at some point. Obviously, like at the very beginning, you're solely focused on implementing everybody. You're not worrying about supporting them or renewing them. At least we weren't until all of a sudden we we're like. Oh my gosh, we have to support these people. Oh my goodness, we have to renew them now. Um, we were just solving those problems kind of along the way as they appeared. But we did we did four different um, seed rounds. Uh, we did a seed round. We raised seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Then we did another one. I think we raised nine hundred fifty thousand. Then we raised probably like six or seven months later a million, and then we did a two million dollar seed round. Um, I think if I got that math right, it's like 4.7 or something like that. A little bit less than five in total. 
but we did it in four different blocks so that we could continue growing our business, justifying an increase in the valuation to help us manage dilution. We've always been very dilution. Um, we're not focused on it. Like it's not the number one thing that we look at obviously, but it matters to us. Um, we say, uh, big pie and big slice. Uh, there are a lot of people here working really hard, making tremendous personal sacrifices. We want everybody to have equity. They all do have equity. We, we have a lot of non-founder, non-investor, uh, owners. They own a substantial portion of debt book fully diluted. And so we want to build a really big, valuable organization that does a tremendous amount of good. And we want all the people sacrificing to be compensated for it. And we knew that if we went out and raised five on 10, like there goes half the company, that never felt like the right choice for us. Um, if we weren't going to work out, I would rather, uh, if we weren't going to work out, it's not going to work out either way. If we took a little bit less, maybe there's, I don't know how you would articulate it, less oxygen in the room. You, we have less time to live. We, we got to go work on the right problems right now, get this thing out, get revenue in, support them, implement them, all those things. Immediately, we don't have two years to like get it exactly right. We need to make progress right now. And, and I'm a high urgency person. I've always kind of been that. I like to get stuff done yesterday. Um, ask anybody who works with me. Um, they're like, yeah, be so annoying. Um, and, and that's just kind of in our DNA. And I think that's really, really helped us. It allowed us to build, I think, a really great business and maintain our capital efficiency along the way by doing it that way. But you got to bet on yourself. You got to know that, hey, I don't have a lot of safety margin here. And if something changes in the market or if we're, we're not that successful, we might not be able to pivot. Or if we're going to pivot, we're going to have to have investor buy-in to do it, which I think is probably relatively healthy, quite frankly, um, to, to kind of have it done that way. Yeah, no, it makes a ton of sense. So, um, and it's helpful on the fundraise and all of that, that you're always, you're always doing it with the wind at your back. In other words, the company continues to create success and create strong customer success stories. Um, and it's easy to put that in front of your investors and say, Hey, look, we're continuing to do what you said we were going to do last time. Um, we're raising again and um, do yeah. you want to participate in not? And if you don't, there's going to be a backlog of folks that we want to go out to, right? 100%. Um, you spoke a, a little bit last time we talked about company culture. Um, so, and y'all have, y'all have gone far and fast um, by a lot of metrics, right? I mean, you're um, 90, 95 employees now. Is that right, Tyler? Yeah, it's 85. 85 employees will be 90, 95 within the next 60 days or so, something like that. Okay. So that's three and a half years in, but the first year probably was a little bit tighter than that. Of course. So, yeah, of course, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Um, how have you, you know, um, what does culture, what does company culture mean to you and how are you implementing that as your company's exploded through the first three years of growth? That's a great question. Um, culture is, is who you are and who you are is like what you do. I mean, I think that's probably like the fair, and I, whenever people ask me about culture, I say, well, just imagine you had a company of you, 80 of you. What do you think the culture of the company's like? It's like you, like, yeah. do you work hard? 
do you not work hard? Are you really uh, competitive? Are you not? Um, are you a salesperson? Are you not a salesperson? How do you feel about um, how do you feel about um, behavior of your employees? What do you care about? Are you open and transparent? Are you always honest? I mean, it's such an organic thing, right? And it starts with it starts with your your leaders. It starts with your leadership team. But ultimately, culture is it's 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 the people that you have and and it's what they care about and 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 what they do. Um, it's really easy to control when there's four of you. it's It's really hard as you get larger. It's critically important. Um, putting words up on the wall, you know can be, I guess, an effective tool. It's helpful to point to, to remind people, but that's not, that's not culture. That's not what that is. Those words that you write down into a listing of values, they must be, or they must be natural. They, they must be like so easily, uh, you must be able to so easily pull them out and write them down because they are real. You live them every single day. So um, honesty, transparency, um, these are things that are, that are just core to, to me that, that I care about I, day one. I've always wanted to be upfront and honest. Um, I'm, I'm totally fine being judged. Let me just tell you the truth. This is what we are. This is how good we think we are. These are our metrics. We're going to be honest about it. Let us know how we're doing. It's the only way you can get better. You got to know exactly where you are relative to everybody else, other organizations, competitors, whatever that might be. Um, and so with that in mind, I think immediately about hiring, what kind of hiring practices do you have? Who do you bring into your organization? How do you screen for those kinds of things? Um, we talk about it all the time. Who are you promoting? Who are you awarding additional equity to? Who are you pushing up into manager positions, into leadership positions? And, and who are they? And, and what are their, their values? Um, it's really hard because you need to grow really quickly. If you get fortunate, like we have, and you need to support a lot of new customers, you need people to do the job right now. So you need to go and grab them. But a lot of organizations like ours are not really good at hiring. It's not the first thing that you get really good at. And so you're not great at hiring, but you need the people to come in really, really quickly. And what happens is what I think it happens to a lot of companies. It's really what happened to us is you just, you start, you know, grabbing folks and, and you bring them into the organization and maybe you have some people that aren't completely aligned with you from a values perspective. So I think it is, it's who you are and it's what you do. It starts with the leaders, how transparent are you? It depends on what values you want for us. Um, honesty, transparency. We are, we are competitive. We want to be winners. Uh, we, we are, uh, we are trying to build extremely real relationships. We value excellence at Deathbook. Um, it is important to us that our people come in, work hard, care about their customers, care about performing incredibly well, are honest and transparent. Those are the people we want. We want ambitious, creative, kind people that want to be excellent. Those are the people that we want because that's who we are. That's who we believe we are. And so finding a way to uh, to bring those folks into your organization and talk about it 
all the time, constantly repeat the things that you care about. And then it's got to show up in your actions. You got to, you got to walk the walk too. You bring up a a really good point. Um, And we hadn't talked about it on the podcast ever before, actually. The, the process of onboarding a new employee, right? You go to Bank of America, Wells Fargo, any large company out there. And they'll tell you, you bring on an employee and it takes, you know, six to 12 months for that employee to be good at their job. Um, when you're going really fast, waiting six to 12 months for somebody to be good at their job, it's a really tough thing to kind of plan around and execute on. Right. So how, how do you, how do y'all focus on getting your, your new employees up to speed quicker so that a, they support your clients, customers, because that's the most important thing. And ultimately, as a result of that, support the business, right? What's y'all's training process, right? To get them, get them there quicker, Tyler. It's definitely something that we should have done better earlier. When you're really early, you don't, you don't build out those things. You bring them on, you, you get in a room together and you give them a, some tasks and they go and work on those things. And um, as you're growing really quickly, it, it becomes obvious that not having a really robust onboarding program and an ongoing learning development program is going to, is going to challenge you significantly. It's absolutely true. And if you read about growing companies, you will read about uh, the importance of documentation, documenting best practices. Um, One of the first books that Eric gave me because he saw me and he was like, Holy cow, like you need to read like all these books. Um, was uh, the great CEO within. And in that book, it just talks about the, the second time that the answer a question for a customer or internally, you write it down, you build your internal company wiki. Um, like clearly documenting the functional areas of each job and then the best practices for each of those functional areas creating all those resources, storing them in a confluence, or there's a, there's a number of different tools that you can use. So incredibly important. And we're still working on this. We call it our areas of responsibility. So um, it's literally a confluence page for every single function. So we use sales. Our sales team has four different, five different roles. Um, there's a VP of sales. There's a team lead that manages accounting executives. There's an SDR manager that manages SDRs. There's SDRs. And then there are account executives. Um, there are five different tables. The first column on the left-hand side is the, um, is the I'm going to call it the functional area for that job, uh, different tasks. Deal management might be one, for example. Well, there is uh, deal management, then specifically what their job is within deal management. And then out to the right on that next column is all of the resources linking to best practices and how-tos about deal management, how we think about it. I, I should be able to recruit somebody, bring them to the organization. We run them through a company-wide training program now. They get every single functional area presented to them. They go along the customer journey. So when they come to Depbook, they're literally going to sit down in their first week and they're going to start, they're going to start listening to SDR calls into a client. And then they're going to watch the demos, the sales conversations that were happening. And then they're going to see that same client on the implementation calls and then, the, and then the kickoff calls and then the next calls. And then they're going to see them all the way through the renewal. They're going to experience the client journey and they're going to have all the different functional areas come in and present about what they're doing and how they're helping. Now it's real fast. It's a lot of information. Quite frankly, it's information overload. It's, it's all done in like a week, 
But then when they come into their functional area, if you go into sales, I can sit down with you and I can say, welcome to that book. You're an SDR, you're an account exec, you're an SDR manager, you're this person. And here's a table with your nine different areas in your job. And this is what you have to do for those nine different areas. And this is what they have to do in those areas. So you can see how you're collaborating together. And here are all the resources for best practices. And then we just try and plug them in and get them working as soon as we possibly can thereafter. What's critically important is building great managers in this as well. And this is, I think, an area where we really struggled early on. We went from having 30 individual contributors who were performing at an incredibly high level to needing managers. And the second that you start promoting people, what, some, what happens in some organizations is they find the best individual contributor and they promote them into a manager seat. And they're promoting them based on past performance in a different job. You got to find the right person for that job. Who is going to best perform in that job? Um, and, and then you have to develop that manager. And we had a lot of folks that had no experience, great individual contributors. We put them in manager seats and they, they had almost no resources around them to help them understand like what being a great manager really means. And I can tell you what I think being a great manager means now after three and a half years of experience with it. But when I first had to manage people, I was no good as a manager, for sure. Like, absolutely not. And if you don't have those managers inside your organization, it makes it really hard to train and onboard new people and to scale, you got to build that layer inside your organization. And then beyond that, you have to have all the documentation. Everything needs to be written down uh, and uh, accessible for all the folks. And that includes career mapping. So we build a career framework for every single functional area. Everybody knows what's expected of them at their level, the next level, the next level, the next level. Compensation is exposed. They can see the areas of responsibility documents. These aren't all completely built out, but we're working on them one by one inside the org to create a really nice map of the organization to help the onboarding process. So we're not great at it, but we are super focused on it, trying to get better on it every single day. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, crazy enough, we're coming up on time, right? Um, we got about um, eight, 10 minutes left in the podcast. Um, kind of surprising as always. The, uh, how do you, so you've come from um, you and Eric or from you to you and Eric to now 85 employees, soon to be 90 to 95 employees. How do you set vision? Because you've got, um, I don't say you have lightning in a bottle, but you've got a, a really great company, right? That has the potential to go really fast. Um, and vision for that is important too, right? So how how have you how are you tackling that aspect of it? We build we build a 10-year company vision presentation. I think it is absolutely the job of the CEO to be able to help the organization understand where in the world are we going. People need to know why they're showing up every single day doing their job. It cannot be because you get paid. That, that may work for some folks in certain organizations, but for the type of people that we are trying to recruit and retain, they have got to be bought in on why they should give a crap, why they should care, why should I show up, especially if we're trying to push the team. Deathbook is not the nine to five place. This is not where you show up and just do that job and then go home. We want people that are obsessed with their jobs, that, that work late, that want to work on the weekends. I, I've had Deathbook dreams three nights in a row. Not joking. I dream about it every single night. I'm obsessed with it. I, I cannot wait to go back into work. 
I want our team to feel that way. Not always totally reasonable, but I want our team to feel the exact same way. Those types of people must be bought in on what you're building. So we build a 10-year a company vision. It, it is updated um, all the time, and I present it all the time. When you come to Depot, as a part of that new hire onboarding, the very first day that you're here, you have lunch with me, and we go through the 10-year company vision together. And I'm going to explain to you, it's, it's actually quite frankly, it's too long. It's like 60 slides now. But I'm going to explain to you our market. I'm going to explain to you what we're working on right now. I'm going to explain to you what we're working on next, how they fit together, why they're important, what we are going to accumulate as a company that we can go and use later to build more and better compelling products for our customers. And we show them how we build the next thing and the next thing and how they fit together and the next thing and the next thing and how they fit together. And then we talk about what that end state could be, what it could be 10 years out in the future. And people then start to understand, I'm on a journey. I'm on a journey. And that's the destination. And if you just drop the destination on them, they could be like, all right, whatever. Um, this, this guy is, uh, is just biased. Um, he's a looney tune. You know, we'll see, we'll see if any of this stuff is, is possible. But when you really start to connect it into the work that's happening right now, we just launched a new product yet, uh, two days ago. Literally two, day, two days ago, we launched a new product. It's been in that company vision for 18 months, right? We knew we had to do it. We learned about it. This is on the path. Great. We knocked it out. No one's looking around saying, hope that makes sense or hope that thing works. And you know what they know? Exactly what to work on next. We know exactly what to make next. And we know exactly what to make in 24 and in 25 and in 26 because we write it all down. And then we share it all the time. Every employee comes to depot, they get that presentation. Whenever we have a major update, we present it at the all hands. We're constantly showing and constantly testing. And then we are talking to our clients about it. We are in front of our clients and we are talking to them about the thing that we are trying to build for them. We want their feedback. We want their buy-in on it. So I think it's building it out, writing it down, articulating it very clearly, consistently in front of the organization, being open and receptive to feedback. If somebody, I really do want our company to be comfortable speaking up in all hands saying, I call BS on that slide. That doesn't make any sense. That's impossible. We'll never be able to do it. Great. Let's have that conversation. I'm not trying to be right. I'm trying to find the truth. Like I am trying to find the truth. Our team is trying to find the best possible vision for our company because they're going to go dedicate the next four years of their lives, hopefully, to building this thing. Like, let's make sure we're making the right thing every single day. So far, that's really worked well for us. And it wasn't our idea. I read that in the great CEO within book too. They're like, write down a 10-year vision. I'm like, great, check, done it. And it works. It absolutely works for us. So uh, we've covered a fair amount of ground today, right? We talked about vision and new employees and raising money and um, and kind of getting getting the company off the ground and everything else. So I'm going to take this podcast and I'm going to take it to, um, to Tyler five years ago, and I'm going to make you listen to it. Um, do you start that book? <laughs> uh, or do you say, yeah. oh, gosh, I'll never do all that stuff. That's crazy. Uh, I mean, if you took this podcast, um, no, 100% um, do it. Um, definitely do it. I um, like I am. I'm so far from perfect. I have so many. um if there's one thing that 
I believe in. It's, it's, it's growth. It's, it's, it's pursuing experiences. I mean, we've got one, sorry to go here. We got one life to live, like depending on what you believe, I'm not certain, but there's one life that we know that we get on this rock and I want every bit of it that I can possibly get. I want to experience everything that I can possibly experience. I want to grow. I want to learn. I want to develop. I want to spend time with my family. I want to love them. I want to accomplish things. I want to build things. I want to do hard things all day long. And I just know that if, if I go out and I try and we are building and working together as a team, solving real problems for our customers, we're going to get to continue to experience all this amazing growth and we're going to solve all these problems and we're going to overcome all these obstacles. And I think I've always wanted that adventure. Like I've always wanted to go out there and, and, and do something. And right before I decided to, to go and jump, I started reading a bunch of books about entrepreneurs and their experiences are amazing. I mean, you just read some of these books about some of these people and the things that they've accomplished. And they're just really, they're just really amazing. And I think for me at my core, I want to learn. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to experience. I want to look back on my life and I want to say, I am completely fulfilled, like completely fulfilled. I did everything that I wanted to do. I tried hard things. I was never afraid. I mean, other than the whole crying over a beer thing, you know, but generally speaking, like had the guts to go and try things and was comfortable with failure. So I think, yes, like if you played this back for me, I think I go for it. I think I'm pumped up about it and super excited. And um, I think that if you're just constantly in your life pursuing growth, you're just going to end up on the right side of whatever it is. Like there's a range of outcomes for every single one of us, right. In our lives, like depending on choices that you make, there's a range. And, and I think that if you're constantly out there choosing growth, choosing experience, pushing yourself, you're going to end up at the top end of that range. And that's what, that's what I want to do personally and professionally. And that's what I encourage, encourage folks around me to do. That's awesome. Um, one quick question for you. Um, how do you get away from it? Um, what's your, what's your break from, um, reality, um, reading, um, uh, family time. Um, uh, I talked to somebody yesterday who said they have a bourbon every night. Um, and that's their, just their one way to kind of digest it. Um, what's, uh, what's Tyler's way to, um, kind of get the weight off his shoulders. I really don't. Um, I, I mean, I really, I mean, to be honest, it's probably not healthy, but I am obsessed with this company and these people. I, I dream about it every single night. I wake up thinking about it. I drive into work thinking about it. I work on it all day. I go home in time, hopefully to get there for bath time in bed. But a lot of times I miss, um, I, I am completely in love with my work. And when I think about work-life balance, for me, they're, they're inverted. Um, I, I need to be better about taking time and finding space. I know that I got to work on that, but this is my happy place. And um, somebody will probably say, gosh, that's really sad. And that's okay. I, I'm okay with that. 
this is just my my truth. This is how I feel. Um, so I don't the bourbon thing. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to be the best possible CEO that I can possibly be. I'm trying to be a leader that these people deserve. So I must sleep, work out, and not drink. And I got to string those things together. So um, I did have I did have a beer on Monday night this week. But I've had no alcohol other than that. I've exercised every single morning and I've tried to sleep relatively well. And if I can do those things and string those things together, then I feel like I can perform for this organization. Um, so I really, I don't. And I probably, I probably need to work on that. Well, exercise is a good one, right? 100%. No, I, yeah. I mean, it's not impressive. I'm like 25 minutes, moderate pace on a Peloton every single morning with some five pound dumbbells. So it's not like a really impressive workout situation, but no, no Arnold Schwarzenegger workouts for you right now. Not if yet. I like went to a 10 pounder, I'd throw my back out or yeah. something like that. So I got to keep it. I got to keep it light. One day you can swell up like um, Jeff Bezos did when the company gets <laughs> a little bigger, right? I don't know. Cause I don't have the best frame. Uh, you know, I'm not so sure. Oh man, Tyler, it's been awesome. I really enjoyed it, man. So, um, you know, Eric and you're building a great company. It's super cool to see that y'all are in Charlotte and the progress that y'all have made and um, the progress and um, path that y'all continue to be on to grow going forward. So thanks for carving out time from your day um, to share that with us so far. And um, certainly we're all pulling forward as you continue to, to march forward from here. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to me ramble and uh, feel really blessed to be here and work with all these people. So thanks, Tyler. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Portis Wealth Advisors. The topics discussed and the opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Portis Wealth Advisors does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interest may be offered only to persons who qualified as accredited investors under applicable state and federal regulation or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interest. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in the market conditions and interest rates and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.